Business leaders today need to go beyond meetings and management. There are action steps that nearly every leader needs to know to align with their core values and get the important priorities done. Welcome to the Grow Forward Today podcast with Paul D. Casey. Whether you're just starting out as a leader in your organization or have been a seasoned professional who wants to explore new ideas and practices, this will be an enlightening and highly applicable program. And now, your host, Paul Casey. Yes, you are always in sales. Whether you're serving internal or external customers, let's wow them. What do you say? Today on episode 21 of the Grow Forward Today podcast, you'll meet my guest, Brad Worthley. Brad gives keynote speeches, films videos, writes e-newsletters, and trains at his events on many topics, one of which that is most interesting, that of creating a service culture. Let's talk about the benefits and how-tos for being fantastic at customer service, something that enhances our personal leadership development. Ready to grow forward? Welcome, friends. Years ago, I walked into a fast food restaurant and had the worst customer service experience of my life. There was food on the floor behind the counter with flies on it. They were out of the item they were famous for. The service was slow. The tables were dirty. I don't usually complain, but this time I did. And the manager asked if I wanted more food to make it right. That was actually the last thing I wanted from him as restitution. But then there was the coffee shop that was new in my town. I waited till the hype died down, and then I tried it. As I entered the drive-thru, I told them it was my first time. They squealed with delight and danced around, celebrating my presence, and took out one of those punch cards and punched all the way around it, saying I could have a free drink the next time. Wow, I was blown away. Ah, customer service. My guest today is Brad Wordley. Here's a little bit about Brad. He's an accomplished business consultant with over 47 years of management experience. I know he started when he was five. Uh, he always He's also an internationally acclaimed leadership, customer service, and motivational expert who has trained hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world since 1991. He has authored four books, produced numerous training videos and audio programs with experts such as Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, John Maxwell, and others. All my favorites, by the way. His client list contains some of the largest and most prestigious organizations in the world from a diverse range of industries, including more than 100 Native American tribes and their enterprises. As an expert in his field, he teaches organizations of all sizes how to consistently build and retain both customer and employee loyalty by changing their culture and not just their people. He is passionate about helping organizations establish and sustain strong service cultures. This is a place where employees love to come to work and customers love to do business. And you know, what I've appreciated about Brad is how generous he's been with his time to me personally over the years, especially when I was just getting started, answering my questions about being a master trainer, being transparent with how to be successful in the business. So thanks again and welcome, Brad. Thank you very much, Paul. Appreciate the uh, invitation. That's awesome. You know, I sound really good on paper. That's, that sounds really good. <laughs> Let's oh, for writing that. <laughs> Isn't that funny that we write our own intros? Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> well, Brad, take us back to the beginning of your career. Just a few short years ago, what compelled you to go into the training business? Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I've started seven companies over the last, gosh, 47 years now, and every 
every business that I was involved in, customer service to me, it was just fun. I enjoyed being great at service because the return was so great. You know, when you treat people well, they treat you back well. To me, it's like, you know, I was a mirror to the world. And when I reflected out positively and had fun with people, they just gave it back to me. And I saw a lot of reward from it early on. So it became a passion quite early. And then when I was around, I don't remember what a time, 38, 39 years old, I decided I was going to start a new company up. And I was, and I was going to start up a secret shopping company. Uh, I'm not sure how many people know what mystery shopping is or secret shopping, but we go into places like Bank of America and we act like we're customers and we evaluate the level of service that we get while we're there and we report that back to the corporation. And it's actually, I'll give you the short version of how I started it. I actually thought I invented the industry, which is cute, but uh, I used to work in retail and I was managing a store in this retail chain. And the owner of the company called me and said, by the way, we've got a new district manager. I've hired the person. They never said male or female. They just said, we hired this individual. They're not going to come in and introduce themselves right away. They want to go around and get a feel of their districts. They're going to come in and they're going to shop and just kind of get a feel for it. Then they'll come back maybe a week later and introduce themselves. Well, I told my team that. I said, you know what? We've got to raise our bar. Everybody coming through that door, that could be our district manager. So let's be on our toes. Our sales went up 25% during the two-week <laughs> period. We didn't know who was coming through the door. And so I thought, God, if you could start a business that left this perception of, you know, that any person coming through that door could evaluate you, I said, that'd be an awesome business. And so that's actually, I thought I invented that whole thing. So I started to reach out to businesses like Sears and Nordstrom and stuff. And I found out it had actually been around for many years. However, they was used for security primarily. So I wanted to make it focused based on customer service and giving positive feedback, not trying to bust people, but, you know, to try to reward them for great service. So anyhow, that's how it got started. I started that in 1991. And uh, I was giving people scores. My clients were everything from uh, Macy's, uh, Nordstrom, uh, uh, Bon Marche, McDonald's. I worked with all of them. What was interesting was, is they started coming back to me and saying, Brad, you've already told us then we suck at what we do. Our service <laughs> is bad. So how do we fix it? And so that's all of a sudden within probably 18 months, I morphed from being a mystery shopping company into a consulting firm because they wanted answers. And I was shocked, you know, when you deal with companies as big as Bank of America and McDonald's, you think they have all the answers and they've got people, people that, you know, smarter than me, but it turns out they were in need of help and wanted it. So we morphed into a consulting firm. Uh, we started doing strategic planning because planning is very important. If you're going to have a service culture, you better have a plan on how to get there. But training became the surprise. They asked me to speak in front of groups and do training. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, I was just shocked because I was actually afraid of public speaking. So it's kind of odd that I was terrified of public speaking. And today I can stand in front of, you know, 25,000 people and not even break a sweat. So that's kind of a, an unusual change. But to answer your question, uh, it really it happened accidentally, but it turned out it's a favorite part of my business. As a matter of fact, uh, 18 years ago, I actually sold my mystery shopping company. I had it for 12 years, but I sold it because it wasn't where my passion was. I didn't enjoy that aspect of it. I loved the training part of it. That's just so fascinating. You could see how 
that would be so successful to say, all right, I'm going to tell you where the weak places are using the mystery shopping business. And now here, I'm going to come in and teach you how to fix it. It's not just one or the other, but both sides of the same coin. That, that is just really fast. I don't think I, I realized that part of your story when I met you the first time. It's true. I don't tell many people the story, you know, and I actually, I was one of the ones that helped create the mystery shopping industry. And 110 of us across the United States got together for our first conference and all of us in the room almost thought we invented the business. It was funny how we all <laughs> thought that we started the industry. And, you know, the Internet was so new back then. If you typed in mystery shopping companies, there was four of us that popped up on the Internet. <laughs> and today, if you type in mystery shopping, there's 15 million. You know, I mean, it's just wow. insane. But there was only four of us that were even available at that time. So <laughs> I got to do it once. Somebody... uh a local hair place, uh, men's men's hair place, uh, gave me a said, "Would you be a secret shopper?" And uh, gave me a two hundred fifty dollars gift card and said, "You know, go to our locations and get use all the services." And I'm like, uh, "Sure, I'll be happy to do that." And uh, just just pay attention to what's going on and report back. And uh, boy, I had a great time doing that. But you know, some of the employees were actually talking bad about the owner who had hired me in front of me. You know, the the customer who they didn't know was a mystery shopper uh, through that. So I had to report back to him some of the bad news uh, as well. But boy, I had a blast doing that. <laughs> my, my favorite was eighteen holes of golf. I had the golf country clubs, and I had to play eighteen holes of golf. I had to have the beverage part. I had to buy beverages. Oh shoot. <laughs> and I had to have lunch. I had to have dinner. I mean, it was an entire fabulous day. And so that was the coolest one I've ever done. Oh, you were suffering, man. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> okay, listeners, you want to get into business. It was a really fun one to get into. Yeah. So so what do you still have joy and happiness when, when being a trainer, being in front of a team and being able to train them? I mean, it's a lot of years doing that. Some people might burn out and you're like, I'm still doing it. Yeah, it still gives me adrenaline. But, but one of the things that helped reinvigorate me probably about eight years ago is that I started to sneak in personal things. In other words, when I would talk about communication, I used to just talk about how it impacts you at work. I started to shift a little bit, though, and talk about some of the things about communication. I would talk about how it's not only very important with communicating with your employees, with your peers, with your boss, but also how you communicate with your significant other, how you communicate with your children, how to communicate with your, you know, your friends. And when I started to make training more holistic, if that makes sense, I wanted to impact the individual. I wanted an employee to come to my seminars and walk out the door and go, oh, my gosh, I've got tools that I can use, not just at work, but I can use them you know, in every aspect of my life. And matter of fact, uh, the cute, uh, since this came up, I was just about a week and a half ago in Hawaii, I was doing a uh, conference back there for uh, human resource professionals. And I happened to be at a restaurant, it was like a Benihana's, and the lady sitting right next to me, I just turned and started chatting with her. And she all of a sudden goes, Oh, my God, you're Brad, she said, I saw your seminar. I came to your seminar three years ago. She says, you changed my life. She goes, I cannot believe I'm sitting next to you. And she just went off. But it was all because I gave information on how to make their life more powerful, how to get rid of energy vampires in your life, and how to treat everybody with respect, regardless of how they're treating you. So the more I got into it, you know, I realized there's a lot of value. The employees liked the seminars, they wanted more. They kept saying, when's Brad coming back? Because he fed our soul and gave us information on how to be a better human being, not just a better employee. 
that was a big turnaround for me. And so uh, that's made it more fun for me because uh, we get so much feedback either in person or email about people raving about uh, what we did. Yeah, what a, it's a real privilege uh, to be in this industry, I believe, as well. And I had that happen to me once, not not quite as uh, flattering as uh, that person was to you, but just sitting at a chamber of commerce luncheon and somebody goes, hey, you're Paul Casey. And you know what? I still do that. Three priorities for the day before you know I shut off the light today for tomorrow. And that's been the best time management saver of my entire career. You know, And it just gives you that warm feeling like, yay, they remembered something about my training. Yeah, so you were the one that listened. <laughs> I know, feels great. Well, hey, Brad, it appears that one of your favorite audience to speak to is leaders. Why is leadership so vital nowadays more than ever? Well, you absolutely cannot have a service culture unless you've got leaders that understand their role. It's an absolute waste of money to turn around and train an entire organization, train the employees on customer service, if the leaders haven't got really extensive um, experience in terms of how to lead people, uh, because employees will revert back to their old behaviors. And we were actually able to measure it through mystery shopping, is we would train employees on customer service, the scores would just double. I mean, they would leap and get really great. But then they'd turn around within 90 days, they'd go back down again. And it's because the leaders were showing signs of hypocrisy, for example. Mm They would tell the employee, Paul, you've got to treat every single customer with respect. But then they would disrespect the employee and talk down to the employee. So the employees go, wait a minute. Uh, I, I, I have to treat the customer with respect, but you don't have to treat me with respect. That's hypocrisy. You tell me I have to come in on time and be prompt, but then you drift in 10 minutes later, 15, because you're the manager. So hypocrisy is one of the top demotivators of employees. It'll drive them right back to some horrible behaviors. So that's when we discovered it It was during the years of mystery shopping. We could actually quantify that if you train leaders first, then you could sustain and grow a service culture over time and it would stick. But if you only train the employees, it would go for 90 days and then revert back. And so we just looked at it and it's a horrible waste of money. So we started telling people, if you have not done leadership training, don't waste your money on doing customer service. Let's make sure we do it in the right order. And we get the best results because um, it's, you know, we've only got so many dollars, training dollars available. Let's use them right. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I know I have a consultant friend. He's retired now. And he said, oftentimes he'd come in and do the employee engagement survey and uh, figure out what the problems are. And it would come back to, oh, it was the leader. And uh, the leader would write him a check and say, thanks for your services. And that was it because <laughs> the leader didn't want to change. And even though all the fingers were pointing back at his leadership style and uh, just sort of dismissed the consultant and said, thank you very much. And that was it. Yeah. And I've worked with, you know, I've worked all over the world, not just the United States, but I've worked in Russia, Romania, Australia, Singapore. I've worked all over the world. The common theme is 85% of the people who were in my rooms learning leadership, 85% of them, when they walked in that room, were trying to still manage their people. So in, statistically for me, 85% of all the leaders that are out there in the world today that are trying to be leaders, they're really not leaders. They're trying to manage their teams. And of course, the instant answer is, is well, people don't like to be managed. Why would you try to manage somebody when nobody wants to be managed? So I, that was my shift in one of my leadership courses uh, online or in person is called Turning Managers into Leaders because that's the hardest transition to make. 
And a lot of people don't know that they're managing their team. They don't know it because they've never been trained differently. And unfortunately, there's a lot of different types of organizations where we promote people because they've been there the longest. Now, yeah. what a horrible reason to promote mm-hmm. somebody. Well, you stuck it out the longest. Great. Let's move <laughs> you up. Or um, political. Uh, a lot of the times that happens in Native American communities where I spend a lot of my time is because the tribal council might have the you know chairman of the tribe. He might be promoting his cousins and his relatives and people like that. And again, you end up with people that are in leadership roles that should never have been there to begin with. And so we'll kill organizations sometimes by promoting and putting the wrong people into leadership roles. That is a killer. We manage tasks, we lead people, right, Brad? Absolutely. (laughs) And that's why why I'm really a believer, by the way, is one of the things is that's why you should never hire somebody for a leadership role unless you've done a pre-employment evaluation on them because it's a horrible. You can spend $35 and you can get inside of someone's head and find out everything about them, about their how they are relational with people, about the communication, about their integrity. Why wouldn't you spend $35 to find out more about people instead of just hiring somebody and just praying that they're going to work out. It's absolute insanity because those leaders impact your entire culture. They can make your culture or they can destroy your culture. And so the leadership should be the, the you know, the most important interviews. Uh, they should be joint interviews with a bunch of other people. You should get more out of opinions. Um, it's just so important. The leadership role. I can't even begin to even go beyond that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about those uh, assessments a little bit later, but let's go there now. When did you decide, like, I want to add this as one of the services because it's on it's on your website and uh, I've utilized them and actually passed that on to many people who are really about to recruit this key leader in their organization. How did you decide, like, you know what, I've, I've got to put this in my portfolio? Well, it was because I only I only handle products and services that I truly strongly believe in. I will never sell anything that I am not fully up, fully in belief that it's going to help change somebody's organization and culture. A lot of people are not gifted hirers. We also, by the way, guess the people who were in hiring roles, guess where they came from? They were an HR generalist or they were hired in, you know, as a, a starting role and all of a sudden told, oh, by the way, you're going to be hiring now and doing recruiting and they've had no experience. So I just think that there's a lot of people who are not good at interviewing and and getting to the real brux of problems. Uh, So we've tried to help on that end. I've got like 31 questions that everybody should be asking. I offer those out for free. Anybody that wants them, I'll send it to them. So I've got really great interview questions that I find that people are completely caught off guard by. Oh, my gosh, these are great. To me, they're so basic. But if you don't know what you don't know, and then the pre-employment evaluations uh, I have, I, this is a great one is I had a company here in Washington. <clears throat> they had asked you, they sell their marijuana stores, pot stores, which is legal in Washington, huge amounts of revenue, unbelievable, multiple locations. And they, they brought a CFO in and the person that called me up in HR said, we've got the new CEO, CFO, I'm sorry, CFO starting today. And I said, Whoa, I said, did you sign the contract with them already? And he said, no, we're going to have them start the paperwork here the next hour. And I said, but they haven't taken uh, the leadership test. You know, you're supposed to give everybody those, right? Well, they're a CFO. We figured they know what they're doing. I said, oh, no. I said, you make sure they get it before you have any contract signed. This person took that assessment. I got it back an hour later and looked at it. 
they got a 45 percentile in math. <laughs> you know, 45 percent is not even basic math skills. And this person got 45 percent. They should have hit. I mean, it's so basic and so easy that they should have got 99 or 100 and they got 45. And so they went, oh, my gosh, we almost made the biggest mistake of our life. And I said, OK, lesson learned. It was inexpensive this time. Uh, you can pay them for the day and send them home. But that's what pre-employment evaluations do. They help you really get to the nut of problems. And today they're more robust. The ones that we use are not, they don't just give you personality characteristics, but they also evaluate the cognitive skills of each individual, their math, their grammar, um, abstract reasoning. Can they work themselves out of problems? So they give you information. It's absolutely critical. And again, I pay $100 for these things, but they run around 35. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to not do it. So true. So true. And Brad, you probably agree with me that people can lead or influence from anywhere they sit, any position they sit in an organization. What messages do you preach for an individual performer to continuously improve? Well, you're actually right. And I, I do talk to a lot of people about this is that you don't have to be called a manager or a director or a supervisor to be viewed as a leader in an organization. You just have to be able to be willing to do things no one else is willing to do. You have to be able to stand up, take the things that you and I teach, the leadership topics that you and I teach and start using them. Why wait for someone to mandate them? And it's unfortunate where a lot of organizations do that. They go to training and they write notes and they do all that stuff. But unless the company says, okay, now we're going to mandate that you do some of these things, some of them won't do it because people just don't enjoy change. So it's unfortunate. But when you have a great leader or someone who is going to be great for a leadership role someday, they take all of that knowledge. And they also, by the way, seek knowledge on their own. They just don't learn by getting forced to go to a company training. They're on YouTube looking at leadership videos. Uh, they're reading books on leadership. There's a saying you've heard it many times is great leaders make great readers. And it doesn't mean that you have to be necessarily a reader, but it means you have to be taking information in. How can you provide knowledge and wisdom to your team if you don't have new wisdom coming in constantly to be able to help serve them? Uh, you know, an organization's growth is directly and proportionately tied to the growth of its leaders, not to the growth of its people. My apologies. So the more that we can inject, the more knowledge, the more wisdom, the more skills that we can inject into our team, the faster we can help our organization grow. So that's why it always slays me every time, you know, the economy goes soft or there's bad times, every training gets cut immediately. Now, I've got a few clients who don't subscribe to that. They continue the training and they consider it an, uh, an investment. And they're always the ones that come out at the end of recessions in far stronger shape and they recover much faster because they didn't have two years of downtime when nobody got fed any information. So that's, um, that's part of it. And if you're looking for very specific leadership for anybody, by the way, but if you want to be a great leader of people, I'll just give you a few tips. One of those is you want to do more dialogue and less monologue most, so many people spend all their time telling people what to do. Now that's mono, which means one. So Paul, I'll tell you, you got to do that today. You got to do this today. You've got to get this done. I can tell a manager a mile away because they are doing all the talking. When you see a great leader, that means you've got dialogue going on. You've got conversation. 
And that's a person who might say something like, Paul, I just saw you work with a customer out there on the floor. And I'm just curious on a scale of one to 10, how well do you think it went? And you might say, oh, it was probably a seven. I'd say, okay, but I need you at a 10. So what would you do differently next time in order to end up at a 10? And then you'd share your ideas with me. And if I think that they're good ideas, I would say, you know what? Very good. It's exactly what I would do too. Great. How soon could you start? And you'd say, now? Awesome. That's great. So <laughs> it feel, I'm getting you to where I need you to be, but I'm having you make the decision of it. I'm having you drive the ship. And that's going to feel like when you walk away, it's going to feel like we had a conversation compared to me going to you saying, by the way, the next customer you run into, I want you to do these three things. That's important. You're going to reject it because you're going to do this emotionally to me because you're being dictated to. Yep. So, and this is true at home with your significant other. By the way, you don't know this probably. Significant others don't like being told what to do. What? You might, you might this not know. This is a know secret, that. listeners. This is a secret. Yeah, this is... Uh, this Only is here. Only here can you hear this. <laughs> <laughs> but our, our kids are the same way. We've got four children, yep. three grandkids. I use all the same communication tips with them. I try to ask a lot of questions. I try not to dictate. When I use the words, I try, because sometimes I have failed. <laughs> I am just like anybody else. Sometimes I get caught up in my own enthusiasm. But um, I just believe it's a more respectful way to communicate with people when you simply just open up a conversation and it sounds so easy. I'm sorry to make it sound easy. But it's not because it requires a lot of practice, which is why you absolutely must practice it at home and at work both. You will never make something a habit of any type unless you're willing to practice it in all areas of your life. So good. That's what a coaching leader does, listeners. And you talk about maybe 20% of the time you're listening 80% of the time. And uh, we're going to catch you for that. Well, hey, you're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast on the Voice America Business Channel. You can find out about all of my services at growingforwardservices.net and my guest, Brad Worthley, at bradworthley.com. We'll be right back after the break where we start diving into what is a service culture and why should you choose to follow those advice tips by Brad. We'll be right back. If you're a manager or supervisor trying to keep your team and yourself engaged, motivated, and accomplishing goals, then you want to check out Bullseye, Paul Casey's membership community for team leaders, coming alongside you to achieve confidence and success in leading your team. Within Bullseye, there are plug-and-play forms and tools, inspirational audios to pump you up, team player videos to play in staff meetings, icebreakers for your one-to-ones, and of course, interaction with Paul and other industry teams team leaders to chat about how to solve the problems you are wrestling with. Paul will bring on live experts once a month to answer your questions on their expertise, and he will ping you twice a week via text to encourage you in your pursuit of your goals. Finally, there is a resource for anyone who supervises others and wants to develop their potential. Check out Bullseye to find out more, and subscribe today for the best rates they'll ever be at growingforwardservices.net. That's growingforwardservices.net. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast. If you'd like to know more about Paul Casey or our program, please visit his website at growingforwardservices.net. Now, back to Grow Forward Today. 
And welcome back, because I know you had options. You could have gone to a different podcast, but no, you're still here with me and Brad Wordley, because you want to know what a strong service culture is, and what does it look like if it's realized? So Brad, teach us. Well, if you heard in the introduction, you know, a service culture is a place where employees love to come to work and a customer loves to do business. It requires both. It's not just about the external customer. When we go into train customer service in any organization, I make it very clear from the very first words out of my mouth that this is not just about the person walking through the door. If we don't learn how to treat each other with respect and get that right, how can we possibly be consistent and serve the customer walking through the other side of the door. And so, and it's it's not a lot different because every time a customer walks through the door, it's a wild card. You don't know who you're going to be dealing with and what you're going to run into. But internally, same thing. You don't have any control over the people you work with sometimes. You know, you're working with who you're working with and you have to learn to get along with them. And one of the most important things, especially about internal customer service, but it's also external, is just the word respect. Because we always talk about it, you got to treat everybody with respect. But of course, logically, I've had people tell me, well, I don't respect some of those customers coming through the door. They treat me horrible. Why would I respect them? So I've had to become clear over the years and let people know, nobody can mandate that you respect other people. I can't mandate that anybody respect me. But what I always will mandate from uh, employees is, Regardless of whether you respect somebody or not, you will always treat everybody with respect. That's a difference. Because force, forcing people into having to respect people, it's, it's not even a, a feasible thought process. I mean, it's not even realistic. So if you tell an employee that, they're out. They're going to stop listening to the entire seminar. But you just let them know, regardless of how you're being treated, just Simply treat them with respect because you'll be in charge, not them. Even if someone's in your face giving you all sorts of crap, you know what? All you have to do is just continue to treat them with respect and maintain. Never sell your soul. Never, ever sell yourself out and treat people differently. There's a saying in one of my seminars is if you treat people like you want them to be, they may become the person they should be. So if someone's being a real jerk, if you treat them like they're a jerk, they're going to continue to be a jerk. Mm. But if you treat people the way that you want them to be, in other words, with respect and maybe with humor and humility, is maybe that they'll roll back around to your side because they might have come in hot looking for trouble, just thinking that their complaint or their issue is going to require a fight. That may be the way they come in on everything. And the minute you show them that we don't need to fight, I'm here to help you. I'm here to advocate for you. They'll maybe drop those barriers and they might be a little bit easier to deal with. So um, I just believe in the world of service. That's one of the key components is, is maintaining our, our uh, treatment of people. And you also, you never know what's going on with some people. You might have a, a woman that comes in, you're being all warm and fuzzy and she's not being responsive to you. Well, you have no idea if she's maybe dealing with domestic violence at home. I mean, some horrible things going on in her world that you don't have any idea about. Or she found out that one of her children is sick or ill or whatever. So we don't know what's going on most of the time in people's heads. I always give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's really, it's a, it's a tough thing to do because when you got someone treating you poorly, I think our reptilian brain back here wants to punish them back and wants them to understand how much you make me hurt. 
But the reality is, is we really don't know a lot of what's going on in people. And the minute I recognized that many, many, many years ago, it made service much more fun. And it also became easier because I could just treat everybody. I don't, I'm not saying treat everybody exactly the same, but I will always treat everybody with humor and I'll treat them with respect. And I, of course, would like it back. And 90% of the time, if not even 95, I do get it back. As I mentioned, we're a mirror to the world. Uh, I will tell you how I want to be treated in return. For me, it's worked all these years. So, yeah, these are great de escalation strategies uh, that you're also sharing, you know, using the humor, treating with respect, um, you know, just adding value to other people to bring that level down, and then assuming the positive intent. Uh, uh, that stuff's going on in their lives. And it probably has nothing to do with this interaction. I remember seeing a little cartoon of a boardroom and uh, all the board members are around and they all little thought bubbles above their head. And one was thinking about uh, their child's graduation. One was thinking about, you know, um, an accident, uh, car accident that they had the day before. And each one had a different thought that had nothing to do with the board meeting that they were in. And, the, and then the board chair goes, I call this meeting to order. <laughs> That's a perfect visual uh, of that. Yeah, I agree with that. And the hard part, you know, in any organization is creating consistency. And, and that's the hard part about a service culture, because you have some people who are passionate and you have some people who don't give a rip about customer service. So it's always the hard part is how do you get everybody on the same page? And that's where it's really important for organizations to go through the strategic planning process, make sure the core values of the organization are well-defined. Everybody knows what they are, because if you don't, if you don't, and I, by the way, I'm a big fan of maybe four core values. You could have 10 core values that are awesome, but if none of the employees memorize them and know what they are, they're useless. I'd rather have them have four things that are very powerful, communication, teamwork, uh, integrity, whatever. But if they have four that everybody memorizes, that becomes the filter by which they make all of their decisions. And it's the filter by how they treat everybody so uh, I'm a big fan of core values being one of the most important things uh, to come out of a strategic planning session and for employees to memorize. If they don't memorize the core values, guess whose core values they use? Their own. And that rarely is good news for any organization. <laughs> so if you want to have consistent thought, behavior, and action throughout an entire organization, get everybody to memorize the core values because they're far more important than the mission statement or the vision statement. Other tips, make sure your service standards are in writing because a lot of times people say, oh yeah, we leave it up to each person. We, we leave it up to their common sense to, you know, to how they're going to treat customers. Well, it's not as common as it used to be. So my always, again, maybe have six or eight things that are very important to the organization, such as when someone says, thank you, they thank us for helping them. You never respond back with the word, no problem. You always respond back with, it was my pleasure, or you are very welcome. That should be a service standard. Uh, so uh, when somebody walks through the door of our store, how long do we have to acknowledge them? Not necessarily a system, but acknowledge them. That should be defined. It should be within 20 seconds, uh, our vest bank one time had it six steps. Nobody can walk in that door and take more than six, six steps without a teller or someone on the sales side looking up and going, by the way, welcome to our, our bank. So service standards need to be in writing. They need to be trained on. 
and they need to be measured on, which is why mystery shopping is so important. And then beyond service standards is job descriptions. People sometimes, especially smaller organizations, they don't have their job descriptions in writing. And what happens is, is uh, somebody quits and leaves the organization and nobody knows how to train for that role necessarily because they, the, the other person did it so easily that, um, that um, they made it look easy. And that actually became a real priority for me. Uh, when I had my previous company, I had 35 employees. I had a receptionist. She was uh, about 35 years old. She had a five-year-old daughter. She was fabulous. She worked for me for two years and she made everything look so easy. We really didn't even know what she did because she did everything that we needed to have done. It just got done. One day she didn't come into work. And I called her mom and her mom said she passed away. She was part of that drug Fen-Fen. Women were taking Fen-Fen to lose weight and it was killing people. And she was one of the victims of it. 35 years old, lost her life from trying to lose weight. And when she, when she all of a sudden wasn't in that seat anymore, number one, it traumatized the organization because she was so fabulous. But number two was we didn't know how to train for the position because I didn't have everybody have job descriptions in writing. I just let it, everybody kind of handle their own stuff. That was the last time that ever happened. Everybody from then on in was responsible for writing what they do in tremendous detail. If I gave them some new responsibilities, they were the ones responsible for going in and updating it. And I would just go into their files. We had shared files and I would just check and make sure that they were updating those on a regular basis. I would never let anybody go more than six months without updating those. So if somebody left, we knew exactly what to train on. So that's very critical for a service culture. And the last thing is SOPs, standard operating procedures, and making sure that those are updated constantly so we don't have system failure. Because I don't think people fail as much as systems do. If your SOPs are not in writing or if they are outdated, you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's unkind. As leaders, our role is to make sure that our employees do not fail. And the main way to do that is through, again, making sure that we've got good SOPs and we've trained them well. If an employee fails, I always looked at myself and I always said, what could I have done differently to help protect that person from what they're feeling right now? They didn't come to work today to want to fail. So I always take responsibility for that as a leader. And that's what great leaders do. A lot of written down stuff, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm jotting this down, it's, you know, the core values are, they're etched in stone. That's the big one. The service standards, the job descriptions, the SOPs. Uh, Brett, I'm just curious out of all the companies you've worked with in all of your years, what percent of companies have all of this in writing where everyone can either see it visibly or it's, you know, at the, within arm's reach of each employee, what would you say? None, 100%. So they're all in different wow. varying levels. Even some of the biggest, most advanced organizations you'll ever see are so far sometimes behind or they, they take these things for granted. They, they wrote the SOP. Somebody said, let's do it. They did it and they hadn't seen them for five years, hadn't touched them for five years. Job duties, same thing happens. So it's not that they don't have them sometimes. It's they're completely outdated and they don't, mm -hmm. they're, they're meaningless at that point. I had a rental car company who will go nameless. They were had been in business by the time I started working with them. They'd been in business for 17 years. They were worldwide. They had never sat in a room and done a strategic planning together, the partners. Oh. Not one. And they said, we've been too busy growing the business. We never had time to sit down and plan. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, dear. <laughs> you cost yourself millions of dollars. 
<laughs> um, it's shocking sometimes. Like I said, I've been surprised year after year of the people that I, I assume to be much more sophisticated. The reality is, is uh, most people don't, the things I just talked about, all the things in writing, most people don't have all that stuff done. And, yeah, it's uh, fascinating to look behind the curtain, be hired by a company and, you know, do a little ferreting around of what's missing and to see, like on the outside, you may not notice anything, but when you dig just one layer deep, the employees feel like, I don't know what the vision is, or I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what my expectations are. Or my job description hasn't been updated, or I haven't had a performance review in five years, mm-hmm. right? And it's just really amazing to see that when you dig a little bit. Yeah. And one of my favorite exercises is to go through during strategic planning and especially departmentally, like the organization might do a strategic plan that oversees the entire organization. But I like to see every single department within the organization also do something yes. which is pain points is turn around and, and sit down with your team. If you've got 20 employees, sit all 20 of them down, throw a flip chart up and say, OK, where does the customer feel pain in doing business with us? Where do the complaints come from? Is it long wait times? Is it our prices are too high? I mean, where are the pain points coming from? If then you go through every single one of those pain points and you ask the team, how can we make these go away? Get them involved in the process of change so they don't feel like victims of change. Start out with number one, we have uh, wait too, uh, too long of wait times uh, that's the biggest complaint. You ask the team, what can we do to shorten the wait times? How can we make that go away? And take everybody's suggestions and write them down. Go to the next one. What's our next pain point? Okay, everybody, give me your ideas. How can we make that go away? By the time you finish this plan, all of the customer pain points should have solutions. And then basically we put dates down next to each one of them so that there's a timeline. And then you assign somebody responsibility for each you basically turn that into smart goals so that every single thing is basically uh, executable. Then once that's done, then you also ask them uh, about employee pain points. Where do you, our employees, feel pain in working for us? And sometimes they might say, well, we don't have everything written down. We don't even know what our job is. And so a lot of the times those things come up in those kind of meetings but write down all of the pain points that the employees feel and go back through them again and say, okay, what would it take to make that go away? And you try to deal with as many of them as you can. Things like salary and wage increases, that's something that obviously requires a little bit more work and probably input from the board of directors. But basically, if you can eliminate, think about an organization where you eliminate customer pain points and you eliminate employee pain points. Think about how much more effective, how productive that organization would be. Yeah, and I'm also thinking, have you ever done with a client uh, individual strategic planning? Uh, and I'm, I'm just thinking how this could be in, in your own personal leadership development, how you can assess where you are and maybe all your areas, wellness, marriage, uh, you know, as a parent, as a, as a worker, employee, as a volunteer, as a citizen. Uh, have you ever done anything like that or recommended any tips for how to do a personal strategic plan? Well, I, I yes, and they're very, very they are very, very valuable. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, I also work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, so uh, that becomes a one person, you know, strategic planning session. Yep. Uh, my wife and I do it. You know, we sit down, we plan our organization. Uh, we sit in the front room, and because we do this, you know, every year minimum, but normally we're doing it throughout the year as well. It only takes us. We probably spend, I would say, maybe one full day a year 
really doing the process because we don't need to rebuild core values, mission statement, vision statement. That's already done. But the pain points is where we really do spend our time and energy because we want to continue because they change. Uh, we want to continue. Uh, I'm not, I would suggest for any organization, especially departmentally, is to do um, that pain uh, thing about twice a year. Every six months, sit down and relook at the pain points and see if we have some new pain points or pain points that never went away. Yes, and I think um, maybe you also recommend that companies should get away and do an offsite mm-hmm. uh, retreat. Absolutely. In order to really wrestle with these because their heads are down, they're in the weeds, they're working so hard. And without a carved out time to do the recommendations that you have, it's just not going to get done, is it? Nope. Especially because you know you got to know they're taking phone calls. They're looking at their phone all the time. Someone's walking the door saying, hey, Harry, I need you for a minute. We got a question out here, a problem. They're distracted. So I uh, absolutely concur with that is take them off site, get them a couple hours away from wherever they happen to be. And uh, just for those who maybe aren't familiar with strategic planning, normally it's a, it's at least two days, minimum two days to go through a strategic planning session and get it done right. Uh, larger organizations might take three days. Uh, extremely large organizations can take weeks. But for most businesses, uh, you're looking at approximately two days. That's, you know, I would say over my 30 years, I would say that uh, 75% of my clients get them done in two days. Smaller businesses can do them in one day if you're a mom and pop or you're a sole proprietor. Yeah, and I love how you uh, you added on, I call it a duty handbook, but how every position in the company needs to write down what they do because you just never know, uh, first of all, if that person's going to disappear the next day. Uh, and of course, uh, I can't remember who said it, but there's no success without a successor. So we need to be training up our replacements or at least be ready for that. And uh, oftentimes it becomes this panic that happens when the person gets their dream job uh, or disappears for health reasons. So it's really critical to set up someone else for success in every position in the organization. Absolutely. And Paul, especially with leadership, um, yes. I wrote an article a couple of years ago, and it was called How to Deepen the Leadership Pool. Uh, I think I even have that on one of my online courses. But uh, the whole idea behind that is, is that people panic, you know, when the minute a department manager says they're leaving, everybody panics and goes, oh, my God, who's going to take that spot? That should never be a question. Every manager should be required to have at least three people minimum that are fully trained to take over that manager's role. If the manager leaves, you've got three fabulous choices. And uh, in some organizations, I would highly recommend is nobody should ever be allowed to be promoted. A manager should never be allowed to go become a director unless that person has, again, three qualified people to take over their role. Because a lot of people hoard knowledge, which is the absolute dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but it's happened a lot, is sometimes leaders won't pass on knowledge to other people because it's job security. They figure if no one else knows what I do, no one else can take my role. Oh, and man. if I and if I found out someone who's doing that in my organization, Oof. I'd fire them. I'd, I'd fire them just for doing that. So that would be disposable to me. But my point about the deep in the leadership pool is we should always be training leaders, whether they're in a leadership role or not today. I'm going to take, I'm going to ask my team, if I've only got six employees, I'm going to ask all six of them, how many of you have an interest in rising in this organization and learning leadership? If all of them said, oh, we all do. Awesome. Then I'll give maybe once a week, I'll give them 15 minute, you know, course or classes or coaching on leadership and just kind of work through the process. No hurry. But if a role opens up, then I've got six people that 
to choose from. And all I have to do is just glean the best and move them up. So every organization should protect themselves from failure by making sure that we have a good depth of our leaders. Yeah. And yet I've read that 5% of companies have a leadership development plan at all levels. So, so that no matter what position you have, you're getting some leadership training. 5% is a pretty low amount. So if your company is doing this, kudos to your company. And if you aren't already and you're in some type of leadership position, I would advocate for everyone getting some kind of leadership training for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad, I love your newsletter. You've been getting it for years. We were talking about that before we uh, hit the record button today. Uh, you, you, you've always described real life experiences of, of your life where, you know, obviously you've been the, the mystery shopper guru for, for many years. So now it's probably hard for you to shut it off. So you go into businesses and then you just tell us, uh, was it a great experience or was it a miserable experience? How well did they treat you? How poorly did they treat you? What do you seek to accomplish with this customer service storytelling? Well, I started out originally by telling uh, good and bad stories, but it was interesting. I have people respond back and say, we don't like to hear the bad stuff. Even though it was a learning moment, I figured there'd be a learning moment in it. What they all wanted to know, though, is, is what can we do to improve? So actually, I took all the negative ones out because I got so much feedback um, oh, interesting. About, about the negative aspects of it, and they didn't want to learn from that. And I found that intriguing myself, but they wanted to hear all the great things that happened. So I, I started reincorporating some of the positive stories that have occurred, and they were all real life. But I think stories are relatable. You know, it's when you're talking about statistics and numbers, we're talking about SOPs and we're talking about all this stuff. Um, it's not necessarily relatable to everybody. But when you start telling a story, they want to follow the journey. They want to see how the story ends. And again, they're just a relatability factor that helps people retain the information. And, uh, you know, I've got so many stories over the years, you know, that I've talked about, Les Schwab and all these other people that are really great at service. And I've had people come up to me again 10 years later and say, I'll never forget your Les Schwab tire story. And they'll talk about the stories. And that's really been the, the probably the most important factor for why, you know, why I use stories. And you've been through my seminars before, so you know they're kind of storytelling sessions too. Uh, because they just bring relatability to it. Yes. And uh, you recorded many DVDs over the years. You probably have some VHS in the closet somewhere. Uh, I probably have an eight track someplace too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, online training offerings. Why must we all make time to take training courses throughout the year? Never rest on our laurels. I think it's very easy to get uh, to get complacent. You know, if we're in a leadership role, I'm already a manager of my department. That's what I was hoping for. I'm here now. And, you know, it's probably easy for some people to just get complacent. I've already got the job. I'm not going to make any more money, you know, if I learn more. So some people just take it for that. But the reality is, is you really do have to be a lifelong learner if you're going to be a leader. Um, I just think it's uh, it's uh, eventually it's going to be job suicide. You'll become so complacent that one day someone's going to walk in the door and say, we're going to replace you now. And you didn't have any input on that. Uh, you just got your life removed and you didn't have any choice. I think we always have to, again, especially if we're leaders, we have to be voracious about learning. And unfortunately, uh, you have to schedule it. It doesn't happen accidentally. Who has extra time? We don't. So my encouragement to everybody is, is 
put it in on Outlook. For those that have Outlook, go into your calendar and have it pop up every week. Pick your slowest day of the week. Maybe it's Wednesday from 9 to 10 and have Outlook pop up and go, you know, training session and take that hour to go into YouTube. Go in and type in my name, Brad Worthley, into YouTube. And there's 180 videos on everything, you know, on the sun. And they're free. So my encouragement is always to uh, schedule training into your world because uh, otherwise it just all of a sudden you go an entire year and you wake up and you realize I didn't get any training. Make the time, listeners. Make the time. Well, Brad, last couple of questions. What do you want to promote for our listeners' personal leadership development and how can our GFT listeners best contact you? Well, the... The best way to contact me is uh, you can either contact me through uh, my website because there's a contact page. And again, that's uh, there's a, a different link to it. it might be easier. It can be my name, which is Brad Worthley, and that's L-E-Y. So bradworthley.com. Or we also have another URL pointing to it, which is B-W-I. In other words, Brad Worthley International, but B-W-I-Learning.com. Either one will take you directly to the website. And uh, there's all sorts of free articles on there. So there's a lot of information stuff that's free. Uh, we also have all of our courses uh, in the last year and a half were all updated and put online. And that's available at bwilearningcenter.com. So BWIs in Brad Worthley International Learning Center. And all of our courses, everything that we've talked about, how to create and sustain a strong service culture, we have one of the best leadership development certificate programs in the industry. And it's normally a two-day in-person event, but it's available all online nowadays, too, when you get certificates at the end. And it's life-changing. It really goes to all aspects of your life and your world. Uh, If anybody would like to reach out to me via telephone, I'll give you my telephone, which is 425. 957-9696. And my email is simply brad at bradworthley.com. And remember, that's L-E-Y on the end. So that's the way you get a hold of me. And we'd love to be able to work with organizations of any size. We work with them from one-person operations up to tens and hundreds of thousands of employees. Thank you so much, Brad. You added so much value to us today. And I do hope you'll all check out the resources that Brad just shared. Thank you for listening to episode 21. Have you told your Achiever friends about this podcast yet? Please spread the word to those who are hungry to grow forward in their lives. Remember, you must lead yourself well before you can lead your team well. And until next week, keep growing forward. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Grow Forward Today. Remember to visit Paul's website for more tools that you can use at growingforwardservices.net. Join us again for another edition very soon on the Voice America Business Channel.